Before we get into the show, let me quickly tell you about a new podcast I've discovered. Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. What's so exciting for me is that this show is hosted by husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, who are fellow Manx. Yeah, they are fellow Mancunians. We are from the same city. And Leanne and I realized we actually at one point lived in the exact same area. What a small world. So in their podcast, Al and Leanne are dispelling myths, imparting wisdom, and answering all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Leanne's a business psychologist, and Al has led and owned multiple businesses over the past 20 years. Together, they blend theory and practice to help business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. Now, as a copywriter who loves figuring out what makes people tick and what makes them buy, I really enjoyed their episode with Phil Agnew. It's called What Makes Your Team Say Yes? Exploring the Psychology of Influence. Go check it out. Listen to Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. At the height of the pandemic, my friend was at the supermarket with her toddler, minding her own business, going about her shopping. It's important to note that at the time, she was medically exempt from wearing a mask, so she was doing nothing wrong by not wearing one. At some point, she noticed a white woman following her and her baby around the store, muttering something about her being maskless. Eventually, this woman started screaming at my friend, asking why she wasn't wearing a mask. When my friend, a black woman, screamed right back, the white store manager ran over and escorted her, my friend, out of the store. He didn't even listen to her when she tried to explain that she hadn't done anything. She was being followed. She was the one who was being harassed. The aggressor was left to shop in peace. Who knows, maybe even she put on the waterworks and let herself be comforted by passing strangers. Why didn't the manager do the right thing and protect my friend? Because the manager had already decided that she, my friend, was the angry black woman. Have you heard of the angry black woman stereotype? If you're a black woman, you're nodding your head. Of course, you've heard of the angry black woman. It seeps into every aspect of our lives. This stereotype says that the black woman is loud, aggressive, hostile, hot-tempered, and all in all, way too much. This stereotype plays out in the workplace too. Black women in workplaces around the world hold back when it comes to speaking their mind because that would make them too outspoken, too opinionated. They hold back from standing up for themselves even when they know they're in the right because that would make them too difficult. They bite their tongue instead of respectfully and professionally pushing back or disagreeing with their colleagues when they feel the need to because doing so would make them too aggressive, too disagreeable. Black women in the workplace make themselves smaller, quieter, invisible. Anything but the angry black woman. Michelle Jima is a business owner who knows all about this. My heart sunk because in that split second I had to make a decision. Like, am I going to be the person that says, look, 
if you were delivering this training to this cohort of people, this is not good enough. And was I going to be that person and then risk, you know, the relationship ending before it even started? It's that juggle, like when you're navigating workplaces or even personal relationships. Like I know that there have been times when I have played nice, i.e. not said anything to keep the peace because I know that if I say something... It's, it's going to be a whole drama and I'll probably be made out to be the bad person the angry black girl mm-hmm. so, uh, so rather than okay. being painted as the angry black girl or the black girl that's asking pertinent questions I'll, I'll stick to being the nice black girl on today's show I'm speaking to Michelle Jima gender and ethnicity pay gap consultant about how she was afraid to speak her mind advise and disagree with her clients and demonstrate her expertise because of the conscious and subconscious racial stereotyping she faces as a black woman in business. I felt trapped because I was like, if I don't do it, I won't get paid. And then I was worried, listen to this, worried about my reputation. Worried that, you know, if I didn't do it, people would say stuff about me. So I phoned my boyfriend and I'm in tears because it was just a really horrible experience. And he was like, you know, it will be fine. You know, remember, you're a professional. You're good at what you do. This is someone else's problem. This is someone else's fault. Welcome to Mistakes That Made Me, the podcast that asks extraordinary business owners to share their biggest business mistake so you know what not to do on your road to success. My name's Iman Ismail, and I'm an email strategist and copywriter for online business owners and e-commerce brands. I'm a podcast lover, a pizza binger, a proud mama of two. And I have this radical idea that if maybe us business owners were a little less guarded and a lot more open about the mistakes we've made, we could help each other grow a business that brings us more joy and less regret. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me. I have to introduce you as one of my biz besties because I just need everyone to know that Michelle is one of my biz besties and we've known each other for a good while now, a a number of years actually, five years maybe, four, five years. Yeah. Yeah. We met in person. That was the first time we ever met. We've been really good friends ever since. I just came out to Valencia a couple of months ago to speak at a conference, an email conference. And you live in Valencia. And so it was a perfect opportunity for us to meet up. And I, it was so nice to see you. It was so good, wasn't it? It feels like so long it ago. Was, it feels like so long ago. And it was one of the highlights of my 2022. Oh. And like when, so I was speaking at this conference and when I wasn't at the conference meeting people and networking, which by the way, you came to as well. I was like, yes. Michelle, come, come network, come meet people. Mm. Michelle, who had nothing to do with the conference was like, okay. And we were just together for the whole four days. And and then when I wasn't in the conference, we were at the beach and we were at restaurants and it was, it was just so nice. It was, it was really nice. It was. And when I think about you, I think about the fact that running a business can be so lonely. Being a business owner can be so lonely, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be you, but you've got to put in the effort to make relationships like this. Right. It makes all the difference. It does make all the difference. And and, and, but, you know, but even like putting in that effort, like even that requires work. So even though sometimes you might be like, oh, I feel lonely. I, even I have to remind myself that there is something I can do about that. Like I have a network of people and it's up to me to do something about it rather than sitting there thinking, 
I don't know what to do next. I don't know what my next step is. And I'm like, okay, Michelle, get out of your head. Send somebody a WhatsApp. Send somebody an email. <laughs> get on a Zoom. Mm-hmm. Sort yourself out by talking to other people. Exactly. And we try to have monthly Zooms or like WhatsApp video calls where we just catch up and we just, you know, talk about life and business and and yeah, I just feel like my business social life and my real social life, my like, you know, real life social life has just been all the better for for knowing you. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. (laughs) It's so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yes. So my name is Michelle Jimmer and I am a pay gaps consultant, which means I work with organizations to help them understand why they have gender pay gaps and ethnicity pay gaps in their workplaces. So I do that through helping them with their training or building their strategies around what they're going to do. Essentially, pay gaps work for me. The way that I like to pitch it is it's about ensuring that everybody has, you know, equitable chances to build the career the way that they want to. So there's, you know, no discrimination. There's nothing holding them back in terms of people's perceptions of them so that, you know, people can thrive in, in, in the way that they want to and that they have, you know, real opportunities and choices in how they build their careers. So yeah, so that's what I do. I help organizations to understand what is it that they're not doing at the moment and to do more what they need to do more of. And also what is it that they are doing that they need to do less of to ensure that mm. people, you know, have those equal opportunities when it comes to building their career in the way that they want. Amazing. Okay. I'm going to need you to name drop because you've worked with some amazing companies. So tell us, name drop some of those companies. Oh, do I have to? You have to. So- and, and I went on your website as well. And I was like, I'm, Michelle, I'm not seeing these logos oh. on this website. That's so funny because it is actually on my VA's to do list. Like I have said to her, okay, maybe we need to start putting some names in my email signature and maybe mm-hmm. like a couple on the website as well. But there's a reason for that. And it's not because I'm okay. like being totally bashful, but this work is, is even though it's in the public domain and, you know, because we have legislation around it, companies have to report, it's still one of those sensitive subjects and so some clients are like yeah that's totally fine if you say Mm -hmm. that you've worked with us and others are like can we just work together in secret and you know just Mm -hmm. keep it private so so it's always like a fine balance between you know which names I drop and who I say them to and stuff so yeah so there Mm -hmm. is a reason behind why you know all that information isn't on the website yeah (laughs) Okay, so of the ones that you feel comfortable name dropping and that are happy for you to name drop them, yeah, tell us who you've worked with. Okay, so I've worked with Turley, which is a real estate company. I've worked with Barclays Bank. You you may or may not have heard of Barclays. If you're in the UK, you'll know them. (laughs) Yes, who else I worked with? I've also worked with Lloyd's Register, which is like a maritime engineering company. I'm trying to think who I'm allowed to say. Who else is there? I've done some work with Ford as well before. You may have heard of uh, the car company Ooh. Ford. Yeah, so lots of organizations. I think they're probably like the biggest ones that, you know, are kind of like brand recognizable. Mm-hmm. So you work with corporate companies, right? Mm-hmm. Big, yeah. big companies. And so it's really interesting watching your experience of, firstly, 
I guess moving to that point where you felt worthy of working with these big companies, because I, I know that you're not allowed to mention some of them. So I won't, but I, I, I have knowledge of like the ones that you didn't have to yeah. sign an NDA for or anything. And they are big companies. They are big. And it's been amazing to watch you kind of grow into that confidence of, yes, I am worthy of working with these these amazing companies. Yes, I am. Well, it's taken me a while, a while to get there. You know, it wasn't like I just woke up one day and decided, do you know what? I, I'm going to work with Oxfam. That's another company that I've worked with. I'm going to work with Oxfam today and just, you know, be okay with that. Yeah, it's taken, it's taken a while to get there, but it's interesting what you said about the thing about feeling worthy of working with them because I was always in the beginning of my business when I started to work with corporates because I haven't always worked with big organizations when I started to focus on them I would have this thing of okay I found this person on LinkedIn I found like the head of HR head of DNI or learning and development and I'm like DNI is diversity and inclusion inclusion, right yes sorry diversity and inclusion um and I can't just send connection requests like they're gonna be like who's this black girl in Manchester sending me connection requests and it took me a while to just kind of like get over myself because the reality is, is that, you know, I have to make myself known to people if I want to have a business that's actually making money as well as, you know, mm-hmm. providing a service, I have to do that. And one of the things that I have to remind myself as well is that I'm not working with the entire company. So the company might have thousands of employees, but the reality is I'm going to be working with a small team might be like 10 people and then yeah. I might only be talking to two or three people within that small team and so you know the ripple effect of the work that I'm doing does go throughout the organization but in terms of who I'm working with it's like a real core number like single digits so kind of remembering that and getting into that mindset has really helped it's helped to kind of deal with the nerves that I'm not on stage in front of thousands, I'm talking to two or three people. So that has made it much, much easier for me to feel like, A, I can approach people, but also B, that I feel confident in my ability to do my work because I'm only working with three three or four people at a time. And mm-hmm. often we're co-creating. Like, yes, I know my stuff when it comes to pay gaps, but they know their organization. So it's about, you know, finding that balance between the expertise that I can give and provide but also working with their expertise because they know their organization. They know their people. They know whether mm. either one of the strategies that I suggest is going to be good for them or bad for them based on what's happening. So for me, it's like a real co-creation piece with a select few number of people within a big organization. I love that. So you're a consultant who's coming in and your take is, look, I am here to work with you. I'm not coming in to just change everything up and make your life difficult like I'm here to help I love that and I think that's so important and one of the I think maybe misconceptions around your work or even not just around your work maybe around your business is potentially that look why are big companies gonna hire someone like you Michelle to come in and tell them everything they're doing wrong in terms of their gender pay gap and how they need to start paying people more (laughs) Yeah. Do you ever get that question? Like, uh, oh, it must be so hard to find clients. Like, they must not want to hire you. 
oh wait, listen, I used to say that to myself all the time, right at the beginning wow. of my business. Like literally I'd be like, you're just some black girl that sat in Manchester. Like why, why are you approaching, you know, McDonald's, for example? I never approached them, but let's just say, you know, mm-hmm. what they're going to look at you and be like, why should we talk to you? We can go and talk to, you know, a, like a, a consultancy where they have, you know, hundreds of consultants on a rotation. And it took me a while to just to get into that headspace of understanding that I bring just as much skills as those bigger organizations. And because it's my business, I have a lot of agility. And then there's, you know, my lived experience. Like I have been on the receiving end of the gender pay gap. And then as you can see, I'm, I'm a black woman. So I have lived experience of, you know, what that's like in predominantly white workplaces. And, you know, I've taken time out of the workplace to have, you know, my own babies and then try to enter back in. And that has been, you know, quite a journey. So as well as the fact that I have, you know, a master's in human rights and I worked at the Equality and Human Rights Commission where I did work on the gender pay gap. So it took me a while to kind of piece together, you know, the skill set that I had and to stop focusing on why people wouldn't hire me because I'm a business, you know, of, of one essentially with contractors and to focus on, okay, well, why should they hire me? Like, what can I bring that maybe other organizations can't bring? And so focusing on that has been, it's been really helpful. So, and now it's not even a thought that pops into my head that why would they pick me? And I'm not just, I'm not saying like, I'm like, oh, of course they're going to pick me. But now I don't worry about not being picked. Like if someone decides to go with another consultant or they decide to go with a bigger agency, then that's fine because there's plenty of work to go around and I will find the organizations that see the value of what I can bring and they want what I have to bring. And so, so yeah, so I'm totally fine with that now. But in the beginning, I was like, I can't do this. Why would they pick me? Yeah, I just need to highlight something you said because it's absolute gold. So you stopped thinking, why would they hire me? And you start, you started thinking, why should they hire me? And that's mind blowing to me. And I feel like no matter what industry you're in, no matter the work you do, that you can take that and apply it to your own self. Not why would they hire me? Why should they hire me? Absolutely amazing. And one of the most fascinating things about being your friend, Michelle, was (laughs) when so much was happening in the US around Black Lives Matter. This is 2020, 2021. Your work, because you also do work around the ethnic pay gap as well. So not just gender pay gap, also ethnic pay gap. That obviously, that work became very, I mean, it's always been important, but I guess people started to become aware of just how important that work is. And while you're amazing at that work, the ethnic pay gap was less your passion like your real real passion compared to the gender pay gap like the gender pay gap is where your absolute love is and working with women to help them negotiate better salary better pay and so it was really interesting watching you kind of like battle with okay I'm really good at this like I can do it but I actually really want to do this over here so shall I go where the where there is a lot of money to be made quite frankly especially in 2020 2021 or shall I do what I really, really love? How did you decide? Uh, yeah, that was that was a battle. 
And, and obviously because it happened during COVID as well, it was very much, I just got into that headspace of being very pragmatic in terms of, okay, all of my revenue had died up, like, like so dried up. I should say not died up, like so many people. And I was very pragmatic in terms of, okay, let's assess what skills I have and then match that to what people need right now. And so, you know, I had worked at the Equality and Human Rights Commission for 10 years. So I had, you know, a lot of experience outside of gender work. I was, you know, had done like quite a bit of race work as well. But like you said, it wasn't like my favorite, as it were. So I didn't do it. But you know how it is, needs must. And so I had that skill set. And so, yeah, so I, so I did that work and I did that work with, with another associate. And, you know, we did, we did make money. Obviously we delivering a service and we got paid for it. And there was a lot of, because it was so visible, there were a lot of opportunities to keep doing that. But like you said, there came a point where I was like, like, actually, I am not enjoying this as much as if I was doing my gender pay gaps work, which is what I really, mm-hmm. really liked. And I wrestled with the guilt of feeling like this is so important. And I, I got into that, but I should continue it on because think of the difference that I can make. Think of, you know, the people on the receiving end who are going to be in workplaces that are much more equitable and better. And I'm very much like, isn't that what I'm all about? And I really, really wrestled with it for quite some time, still continued to do the work and showing up and doing my best, but still, you know, that internal struggle. And I kind of got permission from somebody else because I was in, I think it was a Facebook group where a black lady was talking to someone else and she said, do you know what? I'm really, really tired. I have done what I needed to do during it was like 2020 2021 and a lot of the work that she was doing was around you know social justice and racial equity in the states and she was like me that wasn't her bread and butter but it was something that she could do and she was being asked for that support so she did it but she admitted she said you know I'm tired it's taking it out of me and actually I want to go back to my roots of what I was doing beforehand and she admitted that she stopped doing that work. And I literally like took a breath because I was like, ah, that is exactly how I feel. And I was like, if this woman that I don't know on the other side of the world is allowed to, to press pause on that and move back to what she really likes to do, then I can do the same. And so that's what I did. I, you know, I finished up the engagements I had committed to. But I, I stopped talking about it. I stopped promoting my services in that way. And I went back to my pay gaps work. And also the thing for me that helped is remembering that, you know, everybody can play their part in different ways in, you know, the social justice work that they do. And for me, my part is focusing on pay gaps. And so mm-hmm. it, it's not a case of like kind of like ditching the direct work around, you know, race conversations. It's about giving that to somebody else who's, who loves it, who's really good at it, who has the headspace for it, who's an expert in it. And for me to focus on what I'm an expert on, which is, which is pay gaps. But yeah, it was, there was a real like internal tussle. There was a lot of guilt, mm. but I, I came to that conclusion and I felt, I was a little bit scared because I was a bit like, Oh my God, it felt like starting again. And I was like, oh, where's my next client going to come from? But when they did come, they were the right clients because I was focusing on the right thing for me. 
Yeah. And I feel like, oh, there's so much I want to say. I just, I feel like at that point, your business took off, right? Because we were, gosh, do you remember when we were sat in a cafe together and we were planning out our, God, what it, was it 2020? Yeah. Just before COVID. Just before COVID. We were planning yeah. our like 2020 goals and yeah. our goals financially were both like, right, we are going to make five thousand pounds a month I remember. I consistently remember. and and like watching and experiencing our businesses grow together has been absolutely amazing and i think for me as an outsider your success really came when you actually just did the thing that you really wanted to do where you know where your true passion and true kind of love lay and it's really interesting for me because i can totally relate to this idea of feeling like you should do a thing and I wonder if part of it as well was for you, like I should do the race work because I am a black woman and that's what I owe my entire people, my entire race, my, yeah. it's all on me and my shoulders. That's a lot of responsibility to carry. It is a lot of responsibility to carry. And, and that is, ex- that is exactly how I felt. I was like, who are you to say no to this? And also I would tell myself, if I don't do this, then somebody else who feels even less qualified might do this work and mm. might actually cause more harm because they feel, you know, as guilty, but, you know, less prepared. So there was, there was a lot in it. And, you know, I think it's, it, there's learning lessons there. I mean, from a financial perspective, yeah, it kept our family going during, during COVID. Um, absolutely is, you know, do what important. you need to do yeah exactly yeah yeah um but from a yeah exactly from a personal and professional kind of perspective it was it was a lesson for me in terms of being being true to myself and because I focus on what I enjoy and what I do best it makes my work much easier and it makes it enjoyable I'm not turning up to training sessions or you know, consultancy sessions with a feeling of dread or am I going to be found out? That was my biggest thing. I'm going to be found out that I'm not mm. as good at this as people think I am. That was my biggest Pause thing. Pause imposter complex. <laughs> yeah, Gosh. but, I, but I, yeah. I feel that it was it was a genuine thing because I I yeah. didn't feel like I should be doing that work, but I felt like I felt obligated to. And then it came a point where I was like, mm. okay, I've, I've done my piece. I'm, I'm moving on with what I should be doing or what I want to be doing. I should be, say, I should say. Brilliant. Okay. Just, there are so many things I want to ask you. I mean, I was just thinking about like the emotional and mental toll of the work that you must do. Like there are such high stakes for the women that you're speaking to every single day. Like it just feels like a lot. As someone who came out of the charity sector, one of the, one of the many reasons I left was because the, the work had such an emotional toll on me. Uh, you know, every day was talking about and writing about people starving and people dying and, and every single day and reading awful, you know, case studies of people who were really suffering. And it was just too much. It was too much. It was too much for me to do that every day, day in, day out for the rest of my life. It was too much. So yeah, there's so much more I could say, but. I do want to move on. I want to move on to the reason I invited you here. Okay. Michelle, what is the mistake that made you? Okay, here goes. The mistake that made me is playing the nice black girl. 
playing the nice black girl. Wow. Okay. So every black woman who was listening to this podcast just went, yes, yes, yes. And we know exactly what you mean and exactly what you're talking about. But let's, let's go backwards a little bit. Tell me what is going on in the situation that you've got in your mind. What is going on? What's happening? Tell me the story. So probably about four years ago, maybe, maybe three years ago. And I had had my second baby and I decided that I wasn't going back into employment, that I was going to make a real go of my business because I just couldn't figure out how I was going to look for a new job with a newborn. And my son was like five years old at the time. And I was just like, Oh, right. I'm, I'm all in on my business. So. I got very, very visible on LinkedIn. It's my favorite place to hang out. And I was starting to kind of, you know, get some traction, like little bits of work here and there. And I decided to join a training agency that do deliver diversity and inclusion training as an associate. And I thought, okay, that's a smart move because they will have clients and all I would need to do is to deliver training. I turn up, I get paid and it's, you know, nice foundational money for my business and I can also do my own stuff on the side as well so okay so wait they they have their own clients that come to them for workshops they hire you to go do their workshops yes for their clients in their different places okay yeah and it's just best first time I've done it and I went along to meet one of the senior associates because they had a client in mind and they had a two-day training workshop that they needed somebody to deliver and so they they asked me if I prepared to do it and I was like yes it was my going to be my first assignment two days training was quite quite a big one I was excited but I was also also nervous because I wanted to make you know a good impression so I went along to meet this senior associate and she had written the training for this for this company and so she kind of gave me the background of what it was and it was like it was like a leadership training and I did say to her so well it's not really my my forte but I'll give it a go and she was like well all you have to do is deliver it's all been written out there's notes there's you know slides it's just a case of you know you practicing getting comfortable in delivering it so I was like right okay so then she says right so it's a leadership and it's for the BME cohort in this company so it's for black and minority ethnic employees in this organization so i'm like right okay so i'm looking through the, the slides of what she's prepared and i realized i was like there's something missing here this just seems seems a bit a bit odd and so then i realized that the thing that was missing was any mention of anything to do with being black or a minority <laughs> ethnic person in okay, wait, wait. So an organization. This woman is white, right? This yes. woman is white who's given you, who's written the training, who's delivered the training for. Okay. Okay. Keep going. I just need to clarify. <laughs> yes. And I was like, Oh, and I just thought to me, this is like really, really obvious. And I thought, no, no, my, maybe I'm missing something. So I'm like going through these slides. There's absolutely nothing. So I was like sat there thinking, I've got to say something. Like this doesn't make sense. So I said, yeah, it all looks really good. But I'm just a bit concerned because there's nothing in here about being black or from a minority ethnic background. And do you not think that they're going to be expecting something about that? Notice how I'm like couching it in like really nice, nice terms because I'm 
Mm. Try not to come across like a know-it-all. Try not to come across like I'm saying this is rubbish. And she's like, oh, no, no, it's fine. Then they know that they're not going to be talking about anything about that. It's just a space for anybody who is black or minority ethnic to do the leadership training together in their own, in their own group on their own. So I was like, okay. And I sat there thinking, this is just nonsense. And I'm saying the word nonsense because this is a PG podcast. I was thinking something <laughs> else, but for the listeners, we'll say nonsense. <laughs> I was just like, am I missing something here? Like, am I overthinking this because I'm black or whatever? But I, I pushed it down. I didn't say anything. I just went, okay. And she also, I should have, I should have said something, but she also kept alluding to the fact that it's really good that I would be delivering this training. Oh, right. Yes. She kept alluding to that. And, but I was torn. I was in this place of the fee that I was getting for this was going to be the most amount of money I'd ever earned <laughs> in one go in my mm-hmm. business, right? And I'm there, you know, with a newborn trying to make it work. But then I was just a bit like, see, this is terrible. Right. Okay, wait. I, and I laughed before. I have to explain laughing because I am, so I'm wondering now, and you tell me, no, you tell me, do you think that there was no mention of being black or minority ethnic in this training for a black minority ethnic cohort? Because this white lady was scared of approaching or talking about race or because she really just had no concept of it even mattering. With hindsight, and obviously I'll tell you the future bits of the story in a minute. I think she was probably told by the client not to put anything about that in there. Oh, and so I'll, I'll explain why. Later. Right, 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 right. Okay. So at this point, you just swallow it all. You've, you've, you've asked the question very kindly, very nicely. And she said, everything's fine. So you said, okay. Yeah. What happens next? So I take myself all the way down to outside of London, let's just say, outside of London. That, can I just say that's a lot of traveling for anyone who doesn't know the UK? That is, that is a lot of traveling. Okay. Yeah. And you've yeah. got a, you've got a newborn at home as well. Yeah. And, and this it, is a two day conference. Exactly. And, and also, you know, so I had to go into London and I had to go out of London. So I was like <laughs> up at like four in the morning to get the train. Oh God. So but okay. anyway, I'm like Miss Professional. You know, I'm going to deliver this to the best of my ability. And, you know, and I like public speaking and I like trading and, you know, quite personable and everything be fine. It was a disaster, Iman. It was a disaster. So I start to deliver the training and the person, the client, the person who asked the organization to put this training on, she was in the room. She was in the room, which I think, again, with hindsight, Mm. she shouldn't have been there. But anyway, she was there. She had like this notepad and she's obviously, she's taking notes basically on my, on my performance. So I'm delivering the training. On your performance? Sorry. Yes. No, sorry. I thought she was taking notes trying to learn something. Uh-uh. She's taking notes on you. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how I found out that she was taking notes on okay. me. So I'm delivering this training and I'm obviously I'm nervous because, you know, who, you know, people get nervous all the time. And at the back of my mind, I was just like, this isn't my work. So 
I'd made myself as familiar with it as possible, but it wasn't mine. I wasn't chilling with it. And I was just like, it's just two days. You can do it. So delivering the work and it's the first part is kind of going okay. So then we have a break and I sit down at my desk and I'm next to the client and she had, she'd gone to the loo or something. And then I noticed like she was taking notes and I see my name written on these notes. So once I see my name, I'm like, go have a look and see. She was so critical saying that I, you know, basically she was saying that I was doing basically a rubbish job. That I wasn't engaging and I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing that. So obviously, cause I seen that. And then obviously my confidence was like rock bottom and I still had half a day, half a day to go. So I carry on with the training after the break, etc. And this, we could not never forget this Asian woman puts her hand up and I just thought, Oh my God, here it comes. I just, you know, you just know, you know, what, you know, the reckoning is coming. You know. So she puts her hand up and she was like, Michelle, this is all really interesting and everything. Yeah. But, and I was like, Oh, here it comes. Is there going to be anything about how to navigate, you know, a predominantly white workplace when you're, you're an ethnic minority? Is there going to be anything about imposter syndrome if you're an ethnic minority? you know, anything about that. And I honestly wanted the ground to just open up and just take me, just take me now. Because, and that was when I was like, I knew, I knew this was going to happen. But because I was being the nice black girl, I didn't push back and say, this is undeliverable. (laughs) You, You can't, you can't deliver this training. And so I was like, what am I going to do in that moment? I was like stood there in front of like 15 people. What am I going to do? So I just said, so I said, well, to be honest, the main, you know, focus of this is leadership. And I said, however, if there are things that you want to talk about or things that you think should be in the training, because it's two days, obviously, you know, we can have a conversation about that and I can, I can feed that back to the organization. So that's what I did. So. We sat and we talked and they discussed the things that were, that was, you know, an issue for them. So I said, okay, I'll take that back. And then we carried on with the rest of the training for the day. And I kind of thought, well, you know, that was as good as it could be. It was, I was just so embarrassed because I just knew, I, I, I knew that that was going to happen. And the client took me aside afterwards and said that I shouldn't have done that. She said that I should not have listened to concerns. I shouldn't have given them time to talk about all that stuff. I should have just carried on with the training. I just felt so defeated. Wait, this is, this is, no, I think it's just really important to like clarify the identities of everyone's going on because I think it matters here. So this is another white lady telling you that you shouldn't be talking about race, right? This was the person who hired the organization that I was working for. Yeah to deliver the training yeah. the woman who was taking notes in in the back of the in the back of the room yeah okay yeah and so this client this i know that she was representing the client but she was a white lady as well right mm-hmm. telling you not to talk about race yeah. okay okay gosh okay yeah. so <laughs> did you feed this back to the organization that you were working for i did, did you feed it back to them i did because i so I left and so I left to, to get the, the bus to the train station. This is how, like how far away it was. 
to get the bus to go to the train station to make my way back. And interestingly, one woman who was in the training, a Muslim woman who was in the training, she was, she was really lovely. She's like, Oh, are you going to X train station? And I was like, Yeah. She's like, Well, I'm passing there. Would you like a lift? And I was like, Oh, that'd be really nice. Thank you. So I got in a car with her and there was one other woman who was also in the training with her, an Asian woman. She's like, Driver galore. She's like, So, Michelle, how did you think that training went? <laughs> I sat there oh, in the back God. of the car like, Oh God. Do I tell the truth or do I remain professional about this? And so I just said, I think it could have gone better. I think there might be some lessons for everyone to learn in putting the training together. And she's just said, out of curiosity, did you write it? And I just thought, do you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not pretending anymore. I just went, no. I just said, I didn't put my name on that training. Thank you. I did not write it. I didn't. And, and then she said, she's like, Oh, I know the organization you're working for. Was it such and such who wrote the training? And I went, Yeah. And she went, Oh, right. I thought Mm. so. That was like, Mm. Oh, okay. And it just, it was just all so highly, highly uncomfortable. So I got to the train station and I was waiting for my train. And I phoned the organization that I was representing and I just told them everything. And I just said, look, this is what's happened. This is how I handled it. The client isn't happy with the way that I handled it, but I did the best that I could given the situation. And so mm. it's possible that she might phone you complaining about me. So I'm just letting you know, I'm giving you a heads up. This might happen. And I had to go back. I don't think it was a following day, but it was, it was the day after. And so she said, she just sent me an email or text saying, okay, that's fine. Just carry on for the second day as normal. And I was just like, go back to the training that they complained about. Yeah. I was like, okay. Okay. But I felt trapped because I was like, I don't do it. I won't get paid. And then I was worried. Listen to this, worried about my reputation, worried that, you know, if I didn't do it, people would say stuff about me. So I phoned my boyfriend and I'm in tears because it was just a really horrible experience. And he was like, you know, it'll be fine. You know, remember you're a professional. You're good at what you do. This is someone else's problem. This is someone else's fault. You know, you know, you can deliver the second day. I'm sure they understand that it's not about you. You know, you can do this. So I was kind of like, okay. Then I phoned my friend in absolute plus tears. And I'm like, I'm never going back ever again. And she was like, you know, said the same thing, you know, look, it's not a reflection on you. It's just, you know, it's a lesson for you to learn. It's a, it's a bad one, but it's not about your integrity or ability or anything like that. But I was, I was just like, I just felt personally and professionally embarrassed. I didn't, I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to go back, but I did go back and I just kind of went through the motions. But I think at that point, people were just like, I think they felt almost cheated. And actually somebody did say to me, they did say, you know, the person who put up a hand and you know, set everything up. This is a, this is a very vocal lady. I yeah. like her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And she said, you know, I was really excited when I heard that, you know, we were having our own leadership training, that we were having a safe space, a group for us. It was going to be tailored to us. And she was saying that that was what they were told. This is going to be tailored towards you and towards your needs. You'll be able to 
you know, have open discussions about the things that are important to you, relating to your ethnicity and trying to go into leadership. And she said, you know, basically she felt cheated. And again, I felt guilty. I felt guilty all over again, even though it wasn't, it wasn't your fault. It was, it wasn't my fault. So yeah. So that was the mistake that made me. <laughs> okay. That must have been really devastating for that lady because you just think, I mean, they would have felt so seen to, or to think that you're, that you're being seen and heard, appreciated, that your struggles are being noticed and that, you know, you're going to get some support. I mean, they must have just been so excited and then so devastated to realize that actually, no, the company really doesn't care about what you're dealing with, what you, what you're going through, your, your experience here. We just want to kind of, make ourselves feel better tell ourselves we, we did something when we did nothing wow okay none of this is your fault so let's go back to this idea of playing the nice black girl why why do you attribute your response to wanting to play the nice black girl what did being black even matter in that why did it even matter in that situation i mean i know, sorry i know the answer to this yeah. but i want everyone else to know yeah well it's it's a say it's a coping mechanism, isn't it? And it's a safety mechanism. That idea of you make a choice between do you tell the truth about a situation or a person, or do you make a situation or a person feel safe and comfortable? And you know, when I looked at that training, <laughs> I was like scanning for anything to do with being black or coming from another ethnic minority group. Yeah, my heart sunk because in that split second, I had to make a decision. Like, am I going to be the person that says, look, if you were delivering this training to this cohort of people, this is not good enough. And was I going to be that person and then risk, you know, the relationship ending before it even started? And obviously, like I said, I had a newborn and I was in that space of, you know, I need to bring money into the house, etc. Mm-hmm. Or do I just be nice and you know, muddle through and hopefully they will, they will, I don't know, see that I'm a good person and that I have lots of skills and that, you know, we can build a relationship together. And it's, it's that, it's that juggle. Like when you're navigating workplaces or even personal relationships, like I know that there've been times when I had played nice, i.e. not said anything to keep the peace, because I know that if I say something, it's, it's going to be a whole drama and I'll probably be made out to be the bad person, the angry black girl. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so rather than okay. being painted as the angry black girl or the black girl that's asking pertinent questions, I'll, I'll stick to being the nice black girl. And, and this is, this is why the race issue here matters, right? Because I think everyone listening can, can remember a time where they just wanted to be they just want things to be easy, right? Easy for them. They didn't want to be that, feel like they were being that difficult person or be perceived as being that difficult person. You know, let me just be as palatable as possible and whatever, right? Because you worry about, about being the problem child of the organization or whatever, or the situation, whatever you're in. But the issue here about being, about, about playing the nice black girl is that before you've even opened your mouth, as black women, before we've even opened our mouths, and I will say as black men as well, my, I always worry because I have, you know, I have black boys. 
people have already people already have some kind of judgment or thought or bias about you and we can all say you know that okay not everyone has biases but that's just scientifically untrue it's just not it's just not true we all have biases that we can and can't control some of them we can control some of them we cannot we can train them right whatever now you're you're in this situation and you're not you know that you're not just being seen as a woman you're a black woman and so you're already up against this idea of the angry black woman and and it's almost as if you're you just you're trying to go against this label that you've done nothing to deserve from the get-go you know you're already that's what you're up against and that's what you're trying to to avoid and this is a very kind of I guess touchy topic for me because and I'm sure it is for many other black women as well because I mean I've been in those situations I've been in a situation in a workplace where I have a I I disagree and I'm disagreeing with people in the room but this isn't a disagreement somehow it turns from being just a disagreement between colleagues to I feel like you're being a little bit aggressive oh but it's okay. It's okay that I'm using the exact same tone as everyone else in the room or that people are talking over me and not letting me speak. And when I say, stop talking over me, let me speak, that's aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're up against. It is. And then I want to say on top of that, I can't even imagine the experience that, that black men have. I can't even imagine. I really, I cannot. And I, and I, I worry. I, gosh, when I was pregnant with my son, I used to worry about what it would be like to bring a black boy into this world. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a worry that I think all pl- black parents have. I mean, my, my children are dual heritage. So my partner is white and we live in Spain. And I, you know, I'm still learning what the race landscape is like here. You know, mm. and it's, it's different to the UK, but I do sometimes feel in my bones, hmm, there are some things that are not that different. Like he is, he is nine and already he's had to like handle kids saying stuff to him about the color of his skin and the color mm-hmm. of my skin. And it enrages me because I'm like, he's nine. Yeah, but, and you know, yeah. Like just like, and where does where does that nonsense come from? But obviously, that's that's a whole conversation for another day. But I do mm-hmm. I do understand that that feeling of not only do I have to deal with it, but then when you have children, you have to think about oh my god, how do I prepare them for the same world? Who likes to say oh we don't see color? Who likes to say we are oh we're better than we used to be? And it's like but that barometer is so low and my children are still having to deal with this nonsense and I'm now having to parent them, you know, through this nonsense. Yeah. yeah. It's tough. It is. Tough. It really is. And also the other thing is, sorry, very quickly, it's just one other thing is that when I was in that meeting, the initial meeting to discuss the training, another reason why I didn't want to say anything is because I didn't want her to think that I thought that I was a know-it-all like because remember at this point I hadn't even started working for them I hadn't done Mm. any work and if I was uh, what I was going to be that that black girl that turned up and picked apart picked apart her work where she has the relationship with the client she's been in this organization longer than I she had that 
senior in her title. She'd been delivering all sorts of GNI training. And then, and then I turn up and I'm like, this is, this is not good enough. You know, so yeah, there's, there's, there was a lot happening all at once, but mm-hmm. it's that, it's that skill that we all have that we have to make a split. We have to make a decision in split second. How do I safely navigate the situation? And quite often the safe way to navigate the situation is to not antagonize the other person by, by being honest. And mm. it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to carry all the time. It is. Okay, so how did this mistake make you? Yeah, so on the surface of it, I was like, I am never delivering anyone else's training ever again. That was my first like initial thing. But thinking about it deeper, the way that it's changed me is I, I, yeah, in my professional capacity, if I'm putting my face out there to deliver any piece of work, I have to feel a hundred percent comfortable with it. Like if I've not written it, then I have to like know in my bones that it is authentic and it is full of integrity. Like that training wasn't. And I knew that, but I still went ahead and, and did it. And so now I know that if anybody said to me, Oh, I can't deliver this training or do this, you know, could you do this for me? You know, the answer Maybe yes, depending on what, what it is that you have. And if I don't feel that it meets my standard, like if I can't go to bed at night feeling that I've done a good job, then no, then I, I will not, I will not take it on. And also, and I will say that as well. I mean, I've been in a position where an investment bank wanted to do some work around helping their black and minority ethnic staff progress in the workplace. So I was like, okay, let's have a conversation. And so much of the conversation was around fixing them, working on their... Fixing them? Yeah, working on their confidence, leadership training about how to be a good leader in the workplace. And everything was geared towards changing them, teaching them how to fit into the organization. And so I was like, oh, here's my moment. So I said, well... I, this is all very interesting. I really understand. I understand what it is you're trying to achieve. However, there's two sides to this coin. So yes, you can talk about, you know, how to navigate this workplace, but we also need to look at the systems in your workplace too. Like how are these line managers going to be preparing this cohort for leadership? And, you know, how are you addressing their biases? How are you addressing how they do their performance management? handle grievances, workplace disputes? How are they deciding who progresses and who doesn't? How are you ensuring that all of their kind of managerial experiences is equitable? How are you doing that? And so I said, so if we are going to work together, we need to do both pieces of work because it's not on, you know, your staff to change the way that they behave in order to be able to progress. It it can't just be a one-sided thing. And I can see her eyes kind of like glazing over, like, like, uh. like, like I'd lost her. Like she just didn't understand. But I could, what I could see in her eyes was like, oh, this is not what we want. And so the conversation just stopped there. And every time I see their name, I always think, I wonder what happens to that, that program to fix their black and minority ethnic star. But yes, but that was, that was a hard no. And I learned that lesson before 
not speaking up and saying, this isn't going to work. This isn't good enough. You're focusing on the wrong things. You need to include these things. Yeah. So that's been the big, big lesson for me. Wow. So it's, it sounds like you realized how much your own values mean to you and that you'll only work with clients who are in alignment with your values. Well, I know from being your friend <laughs> that there are a lot of organizations who want to seem like, like they want to appear to be doing this work and having all these kind of difficult to navigate conversations, but they're not really, like you said, they want to give you a program to deliver and they want to tell you the kinds of things you kind of can't talk about. How do you navigate that? How do you deal with that? And, and also, I know you've had this experience of some companies telling you what you can't talk about. Yes. How, I mean, it's just mind blowing. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, I think I've got to a stage where I filtered out those companies quite well. So, okay. Now the clients that I actually end up working with tend to be the ones that actually want to do the deeper work and are not just about looking like their pay gap is going down, not just looking like they're a great employer for women that they're actually genuinely doing stuff behind the scenes. And I think a lot of that has been around the fact that since that lesson of you know working with that associate, I've been very vocal about it. And I have basically said, you know, look, if you're looking to tick a box, then I'm 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 not the person to work with because my take on my work is not about the optics or the superficial things. It's about making that change on a, on a deeper level that is meaningful, that makes a real impact for, for your employees. And in terms of being told as to what I can and can't say, these people get filtered out very, very easily. Like there was one company who asked me to come and give a talk for the Diversity and Inclusion Week as a construction company. And they wanted to talk about the lack of people from black and minority ethnic groups that go into leadership. I was like, right, fine. I can do that. And I mentioned something about black hair and how it's not being deemed as professional and how this is a, this is a, you know, a real barrier for a lot of black people. This was a couple of years ago now. And I got told that everything else in my talk was fine, but I wasn't allowed to talk about that. Did they give you a reason? They didn't need to because it was obvious that they'd obviously had issues within the Ah. company and they didn't want somebody external coming in and then talking about that as, as an issue. And so I wrote them back and I just said, I think it's disingenuous for you to come and invite me to come and talk for this week and then try and tell me what I am and can't talk about. So I will, I will not be taking this forward. I'm not doing this work with you. And if you do have a problem in this area, then you do need to seek expert advice and I'd be happy to do that for you. But I'm not coming to deliver this talk if you're going to tell me that there are specific things I'm not allowed to discuss. And that was the end of that very short relationship. Wow. Did they reply back to you? Did they say anything? No. Oh, silence. Okay. So, I mean, that's quite a change from the Michelle who said, oh, okay okay, let's go ahead and do this horrific talk to, yeah, if you don't want to talk about X, Y, Z, I'm not going to come in and do this for your company because that's disingenuous. Wow. What a change. What a change. 
And I feel like also, I mean, I'm not even in your industry, but I as a woman have experienced, you know, what people who say that they are for women and for women, you know, being paid properly and making money and all this stuff on the outside. And I guess that's, that's, that, that's their brand. That's their marketing and all that stuff. When it comes to paying me, they're not so, shall we say, well, when it comes to paying me, those messages don't quite come, come through. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure that you have been invited to, you know, speak at places, speak at events for women's empowerment and where they want you to do it for free, where they don't even want to pay you. Yeah. So many times. Like, and I've had to, I probably at one point, I think I might have even had a template of how to tell people off and say, you know, look, you're asking me as a black woman to come and talk about pay gaps and women's empowerment and how to ask for more, but you haven't, we haven't got a budget. And I just said, so you're asking me to basically fund my own gender pay gap, which is said again, this is very disingenuous. It's a word that I used a lot. Yeah, some people have needed to be, to be told that because, you know, this expectation and we will see it for International Women's Day as well. We'll see it, this, oh, you know, it'd be great exposure and, you know, just think of all the good you're doing. And I just kind of want to say, but think about my mortgage payment, you know, <laughs> exposure's not, you know, Santander are not going to take exposure vouchers, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very old, it's a very old story. And I think there's a difference between having a low budget and like genuinely having a low budget and having no budget mm-hmm. at all. And so, but, it, but again, it's been a long time since I've been asked to do free work. And I think it's just because I have set the expectation that I expect to, to be paid for any work that you want me to do. And then, yeah, we can have a conversation as to what that looks like. And there are times when I just say, you know what? I'd love to, but financially it's not going to work for me. So I will, mm-hmm. you know, be honest about that and allow you to see if there's somebody else that it's a good fit for. Okay. And are there any times that you do say yes to doing free speaking events? And, and how, how, is there anything that you can tell us that can help us figure out like, okay, when is it okay for me to say yes? Okay. I'll speak at this event for free versus no, I really want to be paid for this or I need to be paid for this. Yeah. And it's, it's a funny question that it's funny that you're asking this now, because even though I do this often, I still wrestle with that sometimes that like, Oh, the, the budget is only X and do I want to do it? And I, and one of the things that is coming up for me is thinking about the end audience. So, so you know that I, I work with corporate organizations that, you know, it's my, that's my bread and butter. And so I have to think about. Okay, this event I've been asked to speak at, you know, is it, is it like a, a vanity thing? Is it like an ego stroke because it will look good and I can be like, Hey, I spoke at this event. Or are there going to be people in the audience that are going to be good for my business in terms of building relationships or, you know, getting introductions to new people or, you know, all consultancy work? And I think for me, it's about weighing that up. And having that kind of barometer helps me to decide whether I think something is is good for me. But the other check-in is like, how do I feel about it? Like, does it excite me? And if it doesn't, 
then then it has to be a no because I have to make space for something else that does excite me and does tick some of those other boxes. So I do do free work, but I'm very strategic about mm. what I say yes to. And I have to be super, super clear as to, okay, what am I going to get out of it? Other than being able to say, here's another speaking engagement. Like what is in it for me? What are the key three things I'm going to get from this speaking engagement that I won't get on my own or would take me longer to get? And if those things can be guaranteed, then I then I will, you know, I will consider it. And there'll be other times when it's like, you know, I might not get, you know, great clients from this, but, but it pays well and, and it is good exposure. So, so it really is about, you know, you kind of checking in with yourself, what, what works, Mm -hmm. what works for you in that moment. Yeah. I love that when, when we met up in Valencia, again, I was speaking at this email conference and, and you were like, are they paying you? what what are they paying for like you know what is this what is the package that you agreed to and so it is I mean for anyone that's interested in terms of this email conference I was traveling I was it needed a plane ride and I had to pay for my own flight but the the organization that invited me to come and speak at the conference paid for my hotel and also I, I had told them initially that I I have a little baby and he was under one at a time and I'm not going to leave him. I'm breastfeeding. So if you want me to come speak, I need to bring him. And they said, bring him. And I said, oh, great. Thanks. I also need to bring my mom so that yes. she can take care of him while I'm at the event. And they said, great. We'll bring her too. We'll pay the hotel room. We'll get you a big, we'll get you a bigger family room and you can all be there. And, and they were brilliant. Mm-hmm. And so I, I paid for my flight and my food and they paid for my hotel and, and another really big bonus for me was being able to see you because actually I'd, I'd already been saying to anyone who'd listen, I want to go to Valencia. Yes. I want to go see Michelle. And so it just really works perfectly. So for me, it was about that thing of actually this, this aligns with my personal kind of life mm-hmm. and goals and also business as well. I was excited to do my first international, you know, speaking event. I wasn't being paid for it, but it, paid me in other ways in yes. different ways and so yes I'm also very strategic about the things that I do for free and and sometimes like you said it's okay it's okay to do those things for free and I think the key is exactly as you said you got to be strategic about it and it's got to be intentional so that you don't feel like you're trapped or being boxed in or being taken advantage of exactly it's not yeah and that you don't feel like it's an obligation because I used to feel like that oh they've asked me and so I should do it <laughs> it's like you know People ask people to do stuff all the time. You don't have to say, just say yes to all the things, especially if it doesn't suit you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about as well, not knowing how to say no sometimes. I feel like I've, I was in a similar situation recently. You just, sometimes you just don't know how to say no. And you always, I always feel like, okay, I know this now. And then some, there's always a, someone, somewhere situation catches you out and you just think, have I learned nothing in my four years <laughs> of business? Like, how am I still struggling to say no? This is ridiculous happens to all of us yeah okay michelle this has been amazing i want to ask you one more question which is what do you want others to learn from your experience yeah the thing that i would like people to learn from my experience is is one to to lean into your professional expertise so you know for me i didn't do that like i knew that training wasn't good enough and i didn't i didn't trust that it was safe for me to say so and so I would want people to 
you know, to, to lead with that. Like if you're being asked to do something and your, <laughs> your professional name is going to be all over it, you know, you need to, you need to ensure that you are 100% happy with it. But also, you know, with that in mind to, to know that you can't kind of separate life and business, like how you feel about running a business. And so again, if something doesn't feel right, like you're being asked to do something and it doesn't feel right to you, it's safe to say no. And if you don't want to give reasons for why you're saying no, that's totally fine as well. I, I see people writing all the time, no is a complete sentence. If you feel that it's too much to go into the inner details or you don't have the energy for it, it's fine to say no. So I think it's more about, you know, having that trusting your integrity, trusting your professional integrity and your personal integrity and to, and to say no and, and to push back when you feel that it's right for you to do so, even at the expense or risk of that other person getting upset. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, making, trying to make life difficult for you because, you know, you're the one that has to kind of live with yourself at the end of the day. So yeah. So, so trust, trust your, your gut instincts, I would say. Mm, okay. Maybe I know I said I wasn't going to ask any more questions, but I did just have one, but then you might have also just answered it. What would you say to that person who is playing the nice black girl right now or even just playing the nice girl? Do you know what I would say? It's important to have a good network or people around you to, as your sounding board, because when you're busy playing the nice girl, whether, you know, black or not, all of that stuff is going on in your head and you need somebody to bounce that off and say, you know what? This situation happened and I didn't say anything or I could see this problem coming up and I don't know how to handle it. You know, having other people to just go, I think we both know that that's not right. You know, why don't you say this? You know, why don't you think about how you phrase this or do this or whatever? I think having other people around you would be so important so that you, and it will help you to feel that you're not making things up, that you're not over-exaggerating because there's so much that goes on in your head. You think, oh, I'm making a mountain out of a molehill and quite often you're not. But if you're Mm. not talking to anyone else, you don't get to have that clarity because it's just you against you like the whole time. So yes, have that network of people where you can say, look, I'm struggling with this. Help me out here. What do I say? What do I do? Am I being unreasonable or am I actually being reasonable? But I just don't know how to handle the situation. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Michelle. It's been so interesting hearing about the experience and hearing about the mistake that made you where can people find you if they want to stay connected yeah so the best place to find me is on linkedin so you can just find me under michelle jimmer i also have a podcast called better money conversations where i talk about pay gaps all the time or you can check me out on my website which is equalitypays.co Brilliant. Thank you so much, Michelle. And I will speak to you on WhatsApp. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for having me. (laughs) It's true that most women, whatever their race, have probably experienced having to play the nice girl in social and professional settings, maybe even in personal relationships too. But for the black woman, this isn't something we face every now and then. A small inconvenience or injustice we can just 
roll our eyes at before we carry on with our lives. It's our everyday. It's at work. It's at the supermarket. It's at the doctor's. It's at school. It's everywhere. All the time, every day, there is no respite. And if you're not a black woman, I'd love for you to consider if maybe you've ever played into the angry black woman stereotype. I ask you to be aware of it in yourself and in the interactions you witness in public and private spaces. And that's it. Just be aware of it. And if you're brave enough, speak up and challenge it. You're listening to Mistakes That Made Me. I'm Iman Ismail. And if you love this episode, take a screenshot, post it on Instagram and tell everyone you know that this is the podcast to listen to. And tag me at Iman Co so we can say hi and so I can share your post. You can find the links to everything I've mentioned today in the show notes. Next time on Mistakes That Made Me. So we had those those two people at first and then we looked at each other and we were like, we didn't make a plan. We really did not. We did not have a strategy. It's embarrassing to admit. It's sort of surprising to admit. But this is a weird thing. I mean, wow. we both see this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, right? How it's so difficult to do for yourself what you do so naturally for clients. Like if her client had come to her with this, she would have been like, yeah, that's very cute.